welcome back to Cloud Talk. The music's a little different. That must mean we have a little different episode for you today. You see, in honor of Valentine's Day, we've decided to do a theme episode called The Tech We Love. In this episode, I've invited representatives from four of the biggest names in cloud tech to join me in discussing what they're most excited about from their respective companies in 2021. Now, all of these clips were recorded separately, so there's no one-upsmanship between them. It's just about the tech they love coming from their companies. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan. In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter. So to kick things off, we're going to hear from Matthew Juliana, who is the Senior Partner Solutions Architect over at AWS, where I pose that question, what tech are you most excited about in 2021 coming from AWS? Here's what he had to say. Uh, for most of my career, I've been dealing with uh, data and databases in some form or another. Uh, I've been a, a DBA, a data analyst, and a developer, and I've always enjoyed working with data. Uh, we used to have uh, friendly arguments with some of the, my developer friends, and we would try to determine which was more important, whether it was the application itself or the data. And we would each argue that uh, the other one was useless without the other. So uh, I think that's pretty accurate. But no matter what side of the argument that you land on, there's no denying that databases have really changed throughout the years. I remember when I first started my career that, you know, we didn't have much choice in how we dealt with data because relational databases were really the only choice, uh, not only when dealing with application data, but also for reporting and analytics. But then we started to see more innovative technologies like various types of NoSQL databases or features like schema on read and the impact that that had on reporting and analytics. And I think these changes really fueled the creativity in that space and allowed for some innovation of newer and some disruptive technologies like Amazon's DynamoDB. Uh, that's essentially a database as a service, which has an API that you can utilize, but you don't have to maintain or manage servers. So things like that were a real game changer and light years ahead of just a regular relational database. But relational databases still have their place, right? So they really fit the need for many use cases. But now with the choices we have, we're no longer constrained to just the limits of one specific type of database. 
we have a lot of different choices when it comes to implementing better database solutions that meet the needs of a broader set of uh, business use cases. I think something else we're seeing more of these days that's really exciting to me is the integration of machine learning not only in the analytics space, but it's also being used for real-time analysis of streaming data. So we don't have to wait days or hours to gain meaningful insights into data in order to make a difference in a user's experience because machine learning is allowing us to personalize these interactions based on the user's input and then learning from that and adjusting the interactions in real time for that individual. And another technology that has had a real impact on data is IoT. So the amount of data that these devices are generating is really astounding. And it's not just the amount of data, but it's also the speed at which this data is being generated and that it needs to be processed. So, you know, streaming data, event-driven architectures are, are really exciting to me. And I'm really excited to see the innovations uh, that are going to continue to make databases and data engineering and data analytics continue to evolve and grow. Thanks, Matthew. Appreciate your thoughts there. There's so much amazing stuff going on in the space of data and analytics over at AWS. Well, now that we've got AWS taken care of, why don't we turn our attention to Google? Well, I'm now joined by Rohit Kelapur, who is an application modernization scale specialist over at Google. Rohit, I'm so glad you're here on the program. Thanks for joining. Well, glad to be here, Jeff. Hey, so I've, I've said what your official long-winded title is, but what does that mean? What do you do? I'm at the, it's an interesting role at Google where I'm part of the solutions team that sits at the intersection of the front-facing selling organization, our, our field executives and customer engineers, and then the product organization on the right. So think of us as like the peanut butter jelly that spreads across product and the field facing organizations we deploy our solutions horizontal solutions uh, which are tech based or vertical industry based solutions and help our sellers uh, position and and deliver those solutions to our customers and then we also give that feedback back to product so that they can improve products and and the voice of the customer is heard very clearly and we amplify that well, then I think you are the absolute perfect person for us to talk to today over at Google. As we as we look at the ways that that the tech specifically in our conversation today from Google is making an impact on the world because you get to see it firsthand as you architect solutions for customers and then, you know, get their feedback on how it's working. Yeah, I mean, like the way I describe it when I first started at Google, someone described welcome to the Harvard of jobs. And I was like, yeah, that, that made sense. I think I've, I didn't quite look at it that way, but uh, it's, it's been fun. Uh, I'm relatively new, uh, six months in, but it's, it's, been a, it's been a phenomenal journey and I've seen, seen a lot of things that are very cool. Uh, so 
the active well, let's alcohol jump into that. You know, what, what's coming from Google in 2021 is we have conversations with our different partners. We're really interested to know what tech coming from, in this case, from Google, you know, is, is, are you passionate about? Are you excited about? Do you love? Yeah, I think like I would divide those into two buckets, like stuff that is directly relevant to my job in app modernization and then more long term uh, projects that Google has in terms of what is short term. Uh, Google obviously has made a lot of investments in Kubernetes um, and we are rapidly innovating in Kubernetes on top of it to deliver ser- other like value added services and pass platforms like Cloud Run. Um, and so these higher level uh, paths like constructs on top of Kubernetes allows developers to deliver value to their uh, customers faster. Um, and that's, so that's kind of cool to see where the ecosystem is kind of evolving up the stack closer to what the, the developers want so that they can deliver that feature or the things that, and because of COVID, like you need to be able to meet the customers very quickly. And I think this facilitates that. Um, the other kind of, I, I'll not list a whole lot of things. Uh, this is not a PM review session, but the other cool thing is we, at Google, we have the, we shepherd the Dora project. We have a bunch of Dora defines. It's a, it's a research methodology and a project that kind of looks at developer efficiency at software or at organizational efficiency and comes out with some key metrics. Um, those four metrics like, uh, Change, deployment frequency, uh, deployment frequency, uh, change failure rate, mean time to recovery, and so on. Um, to get so to then ultimate, point, so, yeah. so so then it, what it's doing then is creating. This really sounds fascinating. So it's, is it creating dashboards and KPIs around the the performance of the developers, and then measuring that over time and showing you know the graphs going up or the graphs going down, and recommendations yeah. for how to improve. And, and Jeff, like that's what is missing in most of the solutions in the market today. Cause like there's a lot of CICD solutions, but no one actually pays attention to operationalizing and measuring that in the pipelines. I think it, folks have started now, but we have a cool project called Four Keys, which I think is open source, which, which in which you can start measuring this as you build your CI pipeline. You will, as the industry evolves, you will see a lot of measured measurements and quantification of DevOps processes. I think the first wave of DevOps was around, okay, get get to CI/CD. And then the next phase is measure CI/CD, measure the user journey, measure mean time to recovery and optimize that. Uh, so that's, I think that's pretty cool too. I love that you guys are involved in that. You know, it's, it's interesting to see the evolution of how um, you know, hyperscale cloud providers are uh, are evolving, and you know where it started was, hey, here's here's some great cloud servers, and then here's some PaaS services on top of that, and here's some more PaaS services on top of those PaaS services, and and now this deepening focus on not just infrastructure, but on true ways to um, to adopt and get greater efficiencies out of that infrastructure. And I want to ask a follow-up question really quick. You mentioned that that last project is open source. Did you guys create it and then open source it, or did you adopt an open source and then kind of build upon it? I think we we open sourced it uh, at inception. I mean, I'll have to search up a link for four keys. Uh, I am. I don't want to Google it right now while on podcast, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's open source and it allows you to embed the these measurements of these key metrics into your software delivery um, pipelines. And I think you can do it regardless of what stack you have or what product you use. You could pro- probably using GitLab or or you could be deploying onto Rackspace servers. But these fundamental metrics don't really change. I mean, you're just measuring your development velocity. 
And in that, that's a great quality that I've seen in Google over the years. And that is, you know, the fact that you, you create this great technology and then open source it so that people can, you know, make a difference in the world with it in their development stack. Because as developers become better at what they do, ultimately that just betters the world. But, you know, more of that can then hopefully fall in the Google cloud. Yeah, uh, rising, it lifts all clouds, really. <laughs> rising waters raise all ships. I love that. Anything else going on at Google this year that you're yeah. passionate about? I think uh, in terms of just like super long term, Google is thinks very long term. And I think a couple of things stand out like the we, we solved the deep, uh, a, a long running problem in protein folding called the deep fold. Uh, project with we solved that with uh, AIML. I think that opens up a whole bunch of possibilities into customizing drugs, designing new new treatment therapies for previously un, uh, unsolved uh, uh, diseases. I'm not a doctor, but from what I read, it, it basically opens up a programmatic way of designing drugs and protein structures that, that could have a massive impact. So that's the kind of stuff that I really, uh, it kind of validates working for Google is like, yeah, we, of course, we, we are, we, we are part of the cloud. We, we innovate, but like we also are thinking super long term in terms of, uh, and another quick example is sustainable, right? We, our data centers run at zero carbon footprint, uh, today. Um, mm. so that, that's another, I think it's pretty cool for my own child to uh, for me to work in a company that is net carbon uh, neutral uh, in the long term. That's great. Well, uh, Rohit, I really do appreciate you coming and sharing your view on what's exciting uh, at Google in 2021 and what tech you're really excited about. But not just tech, you, you brought a really interesting viewpoint to it. And that is, you know, what's the social impact of some of the tech that you're doing? I have one more question for you. Mm -hmm. And you've got, you know, some 17, 18 years of experience in this place. You've, you're in this space. You've got an uh, incredible amount of, of, of wisdom and knowledge in, in the containers if we were to go back and peel apart your, uh, your overall career. But let's say that Google came to you, Rohit, and said, okay, you now have unlimited budget. You now have all the time and resources that Google has at its disposal. <laughs> what would you build at Google given your your experience, your knowledge, and knowing what's going on in the industry? What, what tech do you think the world needs? I mean, I would massively double down on, on technology that enables the citizen developers to, to develop products and solutions what they want based on a problem that they face. So why should... The why should startups be created only by certain folks in Silicon Valley? Every every or developer, every person, advantage or disadvantage, should be able to leverage platform services that are built at Google scale and and solve a problem and offer a service. So uh, I would I would really champion the notion of citizen uh, essentially providing uh, these serve higher level constructs and and services think think like low-code platforms on steroids that everyone could use to kind of build a startup of Jeff or a startup of Rui to, to, to become independent and run do their own thing in life. Well, as I've asked other folks this question, I love this answer because you're the one who wanted to empower me to build a new thing. So, so for that, I say thank you. But I think it's a really uh, great idea of how do we how do we democratize um, coding and utilizing this massive amount of computing power that the world now sits on as we've got these data centers from all the providers all the way around the world to uh, to truly make a difference, not just in in our individual lives, but in in the greater greater society. So. 
Awesome. Rohit, thank you so much. It was, it was my honor to get to talk to you today and I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, Jeff, no, thank you for the opportunity. I, I love this conversation and uh, good luck to you and good luck to Rackspace. Love that Rohit went straight to citizen developer without batting an eye when talking about the tech that he wanted to double down on in the world. Well, let's turn our attention over to our great partners at Dell Technology, where we had a very similar conversation. What tech are they bringing to the market that they're excited about this year? So I had a chance to visit with Doug Lieberman. Let's hear from him, where first, of course, I asked him to introduce himself and what he does, and then we're off on our way to the conversation. So my name is Doug Lieberman. I am the Global Solutions Director here at Dell, and I have a really interesting job. I run an amazing team of folks who really uh, uh, work globally with our partners to jointly develop go-to-market solutions and then help to jointly bring those to market. So my success is measured by our partners' success in really looking at new revenue streams and new solutions to address real-world problems. But you have a really fun job because you get to take the best of Dell and combine it with the best of partners and really ideally create some magic that solves some some huge problems. Yeah, and, and that's exactly it. You know, we, we look at exactly what part what enterprises look for in partners and it's looking for that expertise to really solve outcomes and solve those 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 real hard problems that they're looking to do. And that combination of our partners having amazing vertical knowledge and industry experience combined with the essential infrastructure from Dell and jointly putting those together in a seamless way that uh, that allows for uh, you know, a rapid integration and a really rock solid end, end uh, result so that uh, you have reliability, availability, performance, and uh, that partnership to, to get those outcomes is critical. And, and, and it's a lot of fun doing that. Uh, it's great to be able to enjoy your, raw, your role. So in this episode, of course, we're talking about the tech we love and in your scenario where you, you get to um, combine, again, these two wonderful technologies of, of both your partner, but with the core essential bits from Dell, you know, Dell technology becomes the foundation building block. What do you love about, about what Dell is producing this year or, or some, some things that are going on inside of the company that's really making a difference in the world through the eyes of Doug Lieberman? You know, that's a great question, Jeff. Uh, you know, uh, one of the interesting things about my team and my job is I, I work with two different parts of the company. I actually work with all the parts of the company and everything that's in Dell Technologies. But specifically, I get to work with the telco side and the, um, and the cloud side. And that convergence, you're really going to see more and more this year and next year. Because when you look at 5G, what's interesting about that technology is that previous generations of wireless really focused on the consumer and you know things like bringing gaming and GPS and maps and video to your cell phones. What 5G is going to do is it's 5G is the enterprise solution. What's really going to take off in the 5G era is outcomes generated for and by enterprises in order to drive their business in all sorts of areas like augmented reality, um, you know, connected devices, connected cities, smart cities, um, directed marketing, all sorts of interesting things. But the killer apps are really expected to be in that 5G space. And what's interesting is the foundation of 5G is an open architecture. It's no longer built on proprietary hardware and those things that 4G and 3G were built on. 
And that technology, that aspect, that it's an open technology that's driving the core means that that intersection between cloud and telco is, is coming this year and next year. And you're going to see this intersect right away. And so what's cool in my, in my world is having spent over 20 years building cloud solutions and now working in the telco space and working on 5G solutions as well is those edge clouds that combine all that work that we've done all the, over all these years of virtualization and containerization and, and all those different technologies and really expanding that to, to the edge. And in on that edge, building those clouds that support the core 5G functionalities like network function virtualization and you know, ORAN and all these different components on the same type of infrastructure that we have our traditional clouds on. And I think that's amazing because that that intersection of those technologies means that there's a lot of opportunity and that there's a lot of technology that's rapidly advancing to be able to really drive hybrid cloud, multi-cloud, edge cloud, as well as connectivity. Doug, that is a great answer. And the reason I think it's a great answer is because you're finally helping me to really um, get beyond the stigma that I think the word edge has. You know, edge is one of those most, I, I call it one of the more overused terms in tech today. It seems like we grab onto one every six months or so, and it becomes the one we we beat to death. Um, but through 5G, it seems like 5G becomes that capability to make edge a reality. Yeah, I, I, you know, it's funny, you, you, you hit the nail on the head there. You know, it seems like every year we come up with a new acronym that, you know, uh, and, and I always talk about the hype curve and the fact that, you know, so many times we never get over the hump and everything's on the left-hand side of that curve, um, you know, and, and, it's, it, and we overuse terms an awful lot. But in this case, edge really does mean something. And, and, and to us, what it means for us here in this industry and, you know, at Dell is, how, you know, getting closer and closer to the end device and getting closer and closer to where people are consuming it. So, you know, the promise of low latency, high bandwidth and, you know, kind of ubiquitous access all drives to lots of different scenarios where having um, compute capabilities to do all sorts of different things. Like I said, gaming, augmented reality, uh, blockchain, you know, rapid processing, or even, you know, connected devices. And those all rely on a lot of, in addition to just the physics behind the networking and how the, you know, and, and the parameters of how it travels, having the ability to have compute resources closer uh, to the edge and closer to where those devices are, you know, as close as possible to where, you know, airwaves become electrons, become packets um, is really critical. And so we're really focusing on that and how we can work with partners around the globe to implement not just the technology that sits there, but as, as you mentioned before, and or we talked about, it's all about the outcomes, right? How do we do stuff together? Because ultimately having the cloud with nothing on it is just a bunch of servers generating heat. What we want to do is to enable the applications, whether that be a you know a, a content distribution network or uh, a marketing application or a logistics app or something like that, that 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 requires that edge and will benefit from that. And that's really where we see you know massive explosive growth. That's incredible, and it's great to know that Dell is at the heart of of expanding that you know to the edge uh, with all of your capabilities, and then also what you're bringing to market with 5G as well and making that a reality. Because the more that we can, you know, we say we have these conversations as we talk to customers about, you know, are you on-prem? Are you going to move to a managed data center? Or is it going to go to the cloud? And, you know, for those customers that move to the cloud, they give something up to do that. And they, they give up, you know, the ability to have 
have that data close to them from a sovereignty point of view. They give up or they uh, they uh, accept the expense of sending all that that data up to the cloud where it's going to live and be processed. But when more of that can happen at the remote edge, but still have the ability to communicate the essentials back, that is powerful. And that will bring some significant change in 2021. You're spot on there. Yeah, and I think you know one of the key pieces that uh, that gets lost in the shuffle there is that there really is almost no use case where a company is quote unquote completely in the cloud, right? Um, if you look at all the the research, you know, organizations and 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 and, and dynamic market dynamics, most companies have somewhere between eight and thirty clouds that they participate in. I mean, your email, that's in a cloud generally. If that's on, you know, whether it be Azure, you know, Office 365 or Gmail or something. And then people use Salesforce and they use Workday and they use Concur. All those are different cloud apps and all of them work, you know, seamlessly together or as seamless as possible. For the enterprise, the key piece is who are my trusted partners? And that's really where cloud service providers are absolutely key because most enterprises by by overwhelming majority trust cloud service providers as the essential partner in to bring together the complexities of that multi-cloud world and really have my virtual enterprise function end-to-end. So whether you have edge clouds or off-prem clouds or hosted clouds or public clouds, the answer is you probably have all of those as an enterprise. And it's, you know, when you really look at it, there's been this, this kind of trend towards repatriation of business critical applications um, that are you know highly proprietary and highly sensitive back either into cloud service providers as as a hosted platform or on prem, and but you're you're ne- you're not giving up that that public cloud capability, and so that integration is really where the cloud service provider is key to bring it all together and to make your virtual enterprise work end to end to produce and and result in all the things you need. From payroll processing to email to your business critical, you know, algorithms and business functions that need to happen. Excellent. All right, I have one last question for you, Doug, and that is, if I could, if I could, you know, call Michael Dell and say, you know, who needs unlimited budget to to invent the future in twenty twenty one? That's Doug Lieberman. If you had all the engineering, if you had all the budget, what would you build? What would you enable? That's a great, great question. Um, and uh, my answer is a uh, interstellar uh, internet. So I believe that uh, the, the, the days of space tourism and space travel are not, are not too far in the future. And when you're up in space, you know, in zero G doing backflips for the fun of it, uh, you probably want to uh, take a, you know, a FaceTime real, you know, and, 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 and real time stream that information. And to make that happen, uh, we're going to need uh, an internet that is going to expand beyond the, beyond the earth and out into, you know, the interstellar space. And so if I unlimited budget, and unlimited time, I think that's one place there's going to be lots of money to be had, but more importantly, and the bigger thing is, I think that the technology in order to make that happen will advance terrestrial communications as well, um, because there'll be, you know, boundaries and borders that we've never thought about and would be absolutely critical in order to make that successful. So, you know, if you're giving me unlimited money and unlimited budget, that's what I would do. 
That is a fantastic answer. You couldn't see me uh, because we're doing this on audio. My hands went up in the air with with a touchdown sign. That was that was a great one. So, Doug, thanks so much for taking some time to visit with us today. Thank you for your partnership. We truly appreciate it, and uh, I look forward to having you back on. This you're you're an interesting fellow, and and I think we could have a great longer conversation. Well, Jeff, this has been great. Um, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, you know we're. Uh, we really, we really value our partnership with Rackspace, and uh, we really look forward to some amazing things that we're going to be doing, you know, in, uh, in the near future, and building on top of all the great things that we've done um, already in the past. What a thought! Most companies having eight to thirty clouds. I believe it. Huge thank you to Dell Technology for dropping by the virtual studio to hear what's coming from them in 2021. And now, last but absolutely not least, we turn to Microsoft. Now, I'm particularly honored to have joining me from Microsoft, my longtime friend, past co-host of The Cloudists, don't go looking for that now, and Microsoft partner technology strategist and all-around nice guy, Kent Kingery. Yeah, I spend my time working with our partners on how they can create solutions and offerings based on our technology. So, you know, everything from, you know, standard bog, standard Azure stuff all the way through to some of the stuff we're doing with Azure Quantum. Azure so, Quantum, we're going to have to talk about that maybe a yeah. little bit later. We, Sounds yeah, be really cool. interesting. So this episode is about all things that, that you're excited about in tech, the stuff that you're, you, you love or what Microsoft is doing this year. So, so what's making an impact in, from your opinion, uh, not just in, in enabling companies, you know, your partner companies like a Rackspace, but what's enabling end users and companies to do more? So really three areas that, that pertain to our customers, um, you know, industry specific clouds, um, this thing that we call Project Cortex, um, again, super cool name. Uh, and then uh, and then Azure Quantum, as I just was talking about, I mean, there's some really cool things happening there. On the industry specific, um, we've announced finally uh, an industry specific cloud for retail uh, and one for healthcare. And the goal of those is to stitch together um, some of our um, formerly disparate cloud offerings because Microsoft, right, the three cloud company, right? We've got Azure, we've got Dynamics, and we've got the Microsoft 365. And now the ability for us to sort of pull that together in a cohesive way to give it to, say, a financial services company, right? That is interested in retail information for its customers or to a hospital system that's trying to do patient management, et cetera, covers Dynamics, covers Power Apps, covers that whole suite of things. So that's very cool. And I, I think we can expect to see, although I'm not announcing it, obviously, we can expect to see that for other industries as well. But retail and health, certainly first out. It's really box. interesting. So basically taking those three individual um, pillars, if you will, and gluing, taking a horizontal approach to them to make sure that they apply well, meet regulations, meet at customer expectations uh, for those specific Absolutely. Industries. All right. Yeah, compliance issues, security, you know, data analysis that are specific to a, a an individual industry, right. right? All right. Out of the gates with a strong one, but you've got two more. Yeah. Oh, I like, uh, so I like that one. But the next one up is Project Cortex. And there's been a lot of press about Cortex and, and some ambiguity about what it is. And the very first component out of the box is SharePoint Syntax. And you may have heard about it. Um, SharePoint Syntax is essentially um, the ability for us to uh, put in three areas in terms of content. And it's focused at our commercial customers. Content understanding. So the ability for us to capture and 
and enrich you know information coming in content processing which is sort of the automatic classification of both structured and unstructured data the ability to build workflows around it was something like power automate and then finally the content compliance and the ability for us to integrate that both inside and outside of the Microsoft 365 Dynamics and Azure world. That's really kind of what we're after. And the thing, here's a practical example. Think about the number of invoices that a company typically receives of any size, right? The ability for us to set up a capability where we're using AI-based processing to grab text, to take tables off the invoice, to grab other metadata off the invoice and be able to populate that into the document library where the uh, invoices go and then be able to do things with that data and be able to work, you know, again, the workflow around it with the Power Automate, being able to populate that. You can remember back, I think, when you and I used to work in the SharePoint days, that tagging and information classification was our biggest bugaboo. So we could never get people to do it, right? Right. Here we're putting in an AI-based engine in the middle of it to basically do that for us and get us that first step there. See, this is the kind of stuff that I get really excited about the the whole technology and cloud space right now. You know, in, in everything that led up to this, it was around infrastructure. It was, hey, we can either just move you to a place where you don't have to think about it, or right. we can move it to a place and deal with it better. Uh, but now we're talking about once that move is, has taken place, or even baiting the the hook with a reason to make the move, is to really put intelligence around it that, that is happening automatically, that makes it easier, that solves problems um, you know, that we've been struggling with. I mean, you reference back to the whole tagging thing. I mean, that's a decade-old problem. Right? Oh, yeah. That we were trying to solve. yeah. Well, and the technology, the, the nice part about cloud of any Stripe is, and we've talked about this before, the ability for us to be able to provide to the average company, the average customer, something that would be unattainable if they were going to have to try and do that on their own premise. Right. I mean, that's that's the challenge. It's just a cost issue. It's a capability issue. And now we have somebody else running the gears in the background so you can take advantage of what the thing actually does. You know, and it's and it's not just someone and like you're just saying, it's a something. It's the AI that's doing the work behind the scenes in this scenario. In other scenarios, it's, you know, you think about what uh, from a capability point of view that can happen just because I moved my, my, my applications there. Now I have all this business intelligence that can yeah. be held on to that, that data and realize that the application maybe wasn't the most valuable thing. Maybe it was actually the data that, right. that, that and all of a sudden now I can connect it to machine learning and AI capabilities and data analytics that I, I never had any thought of having in my own organization. Nor could you have afforded I, the personnel or the equipment to be able to there pull that you off. go. That's right. All right. That's right. So are you also telling me you're about to go into your third example and give me a practical way to to approach quantum today? Because it's one of those words, <laughs> uh, and I won't mention the other ones, yeah, that yeah. counted. But we, yet I struggle with practical uses. We get into this idea. So, so the idea of quantum mechanics and quantum physics have been around for a while, right? I mean, it's not a new concept. And the problem is you get into quantum principles and you have people starting to talk to you about things like quantum entanglement. 
and superposition and qubits and transmons and all of these things that would take us several episodes just to tease apart. But the reality is, if you think about quantum, it is using quantum principles, the ability to store data and manipulate data in certain ways to solve problems that a conventional computer would take either forever, and I mean literally forever to do or couldn't even be done. Um, there's a there's a concept called quantum supremacy, and you've probably heard that term thrown around. It's even making the news now. There is a university in China that has just announced quantum supremacy around a problem that took their quantum system 20 seconds to, to, to solve, to deal with, but that the estimate for a classical supercomputer is 600 million years Oh my 600 million years. So it's not even, so why are we even, right? I mean, yeah, we don't have that time. So think about it. The practical uses really are things where you do have these, where speed and, and, and immediate capability is important. Think about financial services, being able to do market simulations or optimizing your portfolio or even something like risk management, developing new drugs where you're constantly, you know, slamming data. And, and one of the things that's really cool about quantum computing, and I'm not an expert at any, any, in any stretch of it, but unlike a conventional computer that really is doing everything more or less step by step, quantum you know, mechanics allows us to do so much more concurrently, which is why we get the speed differential. And as long as, long as we have the speed differential, we now get a processing boost, which allows us to go do things we never would have thought about. 25 years ago, I was doing work you know, in the oil and gas companies, right, that were doing geophysical exploration, and they were taking 10, 15, 20, 30 years to analyze an oil field, a potential oil field, now that can be done in minutes, if not seconds. And it's, just, oh, so here's the cool part. The really, really cool thing, you can do it today. We just announced yesterday that Azure Quantum is in public preview. You can go sign up today for a quantum workspace. You can download our quantum API um, SDK in the language, oddly enough, Q sharp. What else would we call it? Um, and, and we have tutorials and samples and just a ton of information that will allow you to get to this thing practically. And this is the step. Remember when CDs and DVDs finally started showing up in big box stores, we knew those technologies had taken foot. Now you've got it to where Jeff Diverter can go out tomorrow or today and create a workspace and start to experiment with quantum computing right there in the cloud. Well, and here I thought I was going to have an evening with the family. And <laughs> yeah, no, this is what vacations are for, Jeff. So That's right. That's right. So, okay, really great stuff. Now I have one last question for you. Okay. And that question is, you've done, I think, a pretty incredible job of, of telling us what Microsoft is doing literally right now with an announcement from yesterday. But if, if Sachin Adela comes and knocks on your door and he says, Kent, <laughs> I need you to stop what you're doing. You have all of the resources of Microsoft behind you to do whatever you think needs to be done from a technology point of view, what would you do in 2021? Yeah, it, that's a great question. I've thought a lot about what I would do if money were no object and I just had all kinds of unlimited time. If I had the 48 hour day. Um, I, I'm really, really keenly interested in 
this whole idea of responsible AI. Um, you know, I grew up in an era, as did you, when AI was, you know, portrayed in these science fiction movies, you know, remember Whopper in uh, war games and those kind of things. We, it was big and it was bad and it was scary and the stuff is still big and bad and scary. You read about it in the papers, read about it online, all of the decisions that AI is making that are biased or whatever. That's where I would focus my time is, is figuring out how to make those modeling capabilities and the people behind them much more focused on the responsible aspects of AI. It's not very sexy, perhaps. I think the long-term impact to us as a civilization is going to be enormous. Someone's got to stop Skynet. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's an excellent answer, Kent. And uh, one of the reasons I knew it would be a great one, one of the reasons why I wanted to have you on to uh, – to give your your viewpoint from from the Microsoft world as to what's what's the tech that you love this year coming from Microsoft, and then you know what 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 excites Kent, and uh, where would you put your time? So thanks so much for being on the program. This has been great fun. Thanks for having me. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts, and be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com. Oh, come on. You knew that song was going to show up here eventually. Hey, I want to thank all of my guests from Dell and from Microsoft and from Amazon and from Google for being a part of this episode today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I had a great time pulling it all together for you. And you know, in these episodes that have so many different guests, we really just couldn't get this done without the great production help from Debbie Talley, as well as senior content editor, Heather Ferguson. Thank you so much, ladies. Well, and a huge thank you again to Dell Technologies for being a sponsor of our Solve program here at Rackspace. It's what makes all of those articles over at solve.rackspace.com possible, as well as this podcast and, and all sorts of other great stuff. So big thank you to them. Now, as always, make sure that you go out and subscribe, uh, maybe even leave us a little review. We love those five-star kind the best. And we're really excited to bring you next week's episode. I'm going to be completely honest with you. We're a little behind in getting some editing done, so I don't know which one's showing up next, but I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. So that podcast podcast that I told you about last week, the new one about AI and you, you know, practical uses of AI, well, it launched this week. So I'm actually going to bring that into this channel next week as well. So you'll be able to get two different podcasts, well, for the price of one next week. Until then, I'm Jeff Deverter with Cloud Talk.